Welcome to episode 828 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 828 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Happy shortest day of the year. It's always a good day. It's, it's been very dark. We, I, I took my runners yesterday morning. We had a, a track session that we do at six in the morning, and uh, it was like ten past, like 10, 20 past seven Yeah. by the time we got light. So happy shortest day for us Kiwis and Southern Hemisphere people. Happy longest day to everybody in the Northern Hemisphere it's all up. It's all downhill to summer for us now. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind winter. I don't mind the weather. I don't mind cold. But I like light. Yeah. You know, so I like light. So I'm looking forward to getting to the light season. But anyway, let's talk about uh, I'm Talkers proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons. You go first, Jombo. How now, brown cow, dolphin. We've got Matthew the President Reagan. I think it's actually Hugh, not How, but I like How. Yep. Uh, and Skip Peanuts Slades. Yeah, Skip's a good man. He's a good triathlon coach, that guy. Okay, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic. We've got an age group of the week. Uh, are, we, are we doing age group? We, got we, are. we are. Eight, oh, we are. I went into last of our championships. I thought we did that last time. We did do that last week, Bevan, but then the show didn't record. Oh, <laughs> so there's lots of content where you're going to keep right. going. Oh, we did that last week. That's, no, yeah, we didn't because no. the show didn't record okay, okay, properly. That's right. We had issues there. Last week we recorded the whole show. It was a great show, and then we had technical problems. And I'm fingers crossed it doesn't happen today. It doesn't look like it's going to happen, but fingers crossed. Okay, uh, uh, we we'll also an interview with who? We're talking to Jenny Lorenz, who recently rode across America, listened to the show, and uh, triathlete. So sharing some experiences around that. And then we've got high five and winger of the week. Okay, Jumbo, let's talk about the results. Not many iron distance races happened. We had Lake Man was on. The Lakes Man, yep. So James Williamson took that out in eight hours and 50 minutes. Dojo domination. Uh, swam 57, rode 457, around 248. Um, that is the Lakes Man, which is up in the northern part of the UK. They have a, a, a full distance race where they had around about 260 to two up to 300 people sort of finishing that. In the full, we had around 600. And then they have lots of teams and things. I like that size of race where it's about 300 people in a, in a full. is great. Just enough people on the course. Uh, but they also have the half. It probably get a little quiet later in the run. But yeah. you kind of probably want that. But that is a good question. What's the perfect number? Three hundred is probably not five hundred. Yeah, five hundred would be just right. Yeah, because you want. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah it sounded like a bit of a rough day because uh, on that course, you go up the coastline and almost always you have fairly favourable winds. You want a tailwind up there, and this year they had a headwind, so it sounded mm-hmm. a little bit rough. Uh, so good on everyone who did the lakes man on the female side. Um, Marie Cole took that out in eleven oh four. Okay, we did have a few seventy point threes. Any any results of significance, John? Uh, we had the challenge dance. Uh, Margie Santa Maria took that out by seven minutes and four hours twenty. Pablo de Pina Gonzalez took out the boys race seventy point three Luxembourg. Uh, uh, Emma Plant Brown took that out pretty comfortably by seven minutes. Yuri Quillen took out the boys' race by a minute, and then uh, the inaugural challenge Wales 
Oh, jeepers. Lucy Byram won by 19 minutes. And Jeez. on the boys' side, very close racing. Aaron Royal uh, won by 46 seconds Jeez. with only another three seconds back to third. And then that was pretty much it. So not a lot of racing last weekend. We do have Ironman France coming up this weekend. Rudy Van Berg is on the start list. He's been given the number one ranking. He has. So it's the first iron distance race. Uh, so Rudy Van Berg does race under the American flag, but... Uh, Pretty sure he lives in France a lot of the time. Okay. Anyway, he's got dual, dual citizenship. Uh, this year, the bike course has changed, uh, according to Torsten on tryrating.com. Uh, he says it's got so it's likely going to make it harder and slower, which is great. I'm in France is an awesome course by the look of it. I have ridden and swam and ran around there, but not on the exact course. But it is one race that is definitely on my bucket list to do one year. One year. Uh, it's got, only got one male, one female slot. Uh, total prize purse of 75000 paying 10 deep. Joe Skipper is on the, on the start list, but if you, would you expect to see him there? Well, he's over at the moment. He's over in Foramo uh, training. So he's, you know, Foramo is not exactly close to, to Nice, but he's not too far away. So yeah, Joe's, Joe races a lot and he didn't do world champs this year. And we know he did the, the sub seven and absolutely smashed it. But he's a pretty regular racer. So you'd expect him to do... Cam Worth hasn't qualified yet. No, no. So uh, he hasn't done a lot of racing. You know, he's been focusing a bit more on the cycling and then rocked up to to Worlds in St. George and didn't really go to plans. So, yeah, a bit of a funny old field. Um, you've got a few others in there. Jovak, Yaroslav Kovacic. Um, yeah, not too many big names. But, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Main thing for me on this race is to see how Rudy Von Berg goes, one of the best 70.3 athletes in the world. Uh, so looking forward to that. And equally, on the female side, it's only 6% of a typical Kona field um, and just quite a few Europeans, no real big, big hitters in terms of, you know, top five Kona athletes. So Justine Mathieu from France is seed number one with Manon Guignet seeded number two. Kona slots and prize money for France is one for each six. I've said that, yep, yep. done that. Oh, we're looking at Germany here. So Germany, I'm in Frankfurt. The European Championships is for male pro only. The, the female race was the one that happened in Hamburg a few weeks ago. This results in a different prize purse and Kona slots for the male and female races. When the men competed, they got three Kona slots and a prize money of 75000 paying 10 deep, while there was only one slot for the female race and a prize purse of 50000 That's seem a bit sexist. No, it doesn't. It's not sexist at all because they had the European champs for the females a couple of weeks ago. This is the European no, but champs. This, this, for this, this isn't the saying that the, the difference between the two different races. So in the European Championships for the female race, only one slot and fifty thousand. No, I think this race has fifty thousand prize money. Oh, okay. So, no, so the females actually, yes, it is sexist, Bev, and the females actually won, so, win out here. So, so the, the the Frankfurt is the European Championships. Pro only for pro men. Yep, but they still have a pro race for women. Oh, okay. Whereas normally, in most okay. other races, they only have one gender. Yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's why I was confused, because that's what they normally do. Most of the championships, or most races, they, or a lot of races nowadays, they have a female pro race or a male pro race. Mm. You don't tend to see that in championships. This is probably the first time they've split championships. I, yep, I definitely think so. Okay, so and you can see why I read it wrong. Hmm. But yeah, yeah. So men's field is a 19% of a Kona field. Um, Patrick Nielsen, we've got Swedish, is top two seeds with Patrick Nielsen expected to go 750 and Rasmus Svensson uh, 756 and then Christian Holgenhaar third uh, at 757 so good good strong field but again no probably sort of top five to top you know some of those guys might touch a top 10 in Kona um, so it's losing its prestige sorry 
Well, no, it's just it a just funny this year? year. It's just this year. Everyone did, you know, St. George, and they don't. Most of them, most people are qualified for Kona, so don't need to be doing this. And, and there's always that choice at this time of the year. Do I do Rote? There's so many races on, um, and you know, Langer and uh, Fredino have decided to do to do Rote. What, what are your thoughts on the splitting the championship race? Um, I don't like it. No, not really. No, I think because you make it a big day. You know, yeah. you, you know, you've, it's a championship race for the European Championships. You want it to be an event for. Both male and female athletes. Blame COVID. I'm sure it is COVID related. That's the only reason I can think they've done it. There's a trying to catch up on, on previous COVID. years. Blame everything, COVID on everything. Blame COVID everything. That's right. Okay. Uh, uh, female side, uh, quite a few withdrawals since I actually looked at this yesterday. So uh, Daniela Blame is seeded number one now. Um, Leanne Fanoy from the UAE is seeded number two. And Carolyn. Lehreda from Germany is seeded number three. So it was uh, 18% of a Kona field, but we've had God, there's lines through athletes all left, right and centre. So oh. Nikki Bartlett's got a good chance there. She's only seeded number eight, but a uh, good athlete. So let's hope she goes over there and cranks it. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm blaming COVID for so many people getting pulled out. Quite COVID is rampant at the moment. I know we're in a totally different you know setting in New Zealand, but uh, there's a big wave went through the uh, the tour of Switzerland the other day, the oh, cycling, really? and apparently a few of our Kiwi triathletes might have it. Uh, I, from my personal point of view, from coaching athletes, I've got several athletes that have got it at the moment. Um, so. Whilst the restrictions are coming off left, right and centre, my encouragement would be to keep wearing a mask keep um, wearing when mask. you are in spaces with lots of other people. We did watch the rugby at a pub the other night and uh, the rugby final, Canterbury won again. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did watch it and Joe was going, oh, we're getting COVID tonight. Yeah. <laughs> because there were lots of people around. Yeah. No masks. But yeah. we didn't get it, luckily. Okay, so we've got a few full distance races coming up, or non-IM races or, or challenge races. Any in particular that you want to note? No, there's all sorts of ones going on. There's a Mavarian man in the Czech Republic, Swiss man in Switzerland, the Alpha Win Series is still going in the States. That's where they do all different distances. The Austria Extreme Man got a race in Poland. The one in Poland, uh, the Northwest uh, Triman, which is in uh, Spain, I remember that being a really epic one, and the Goto Nagasaki International in Japan. So, if you're racing this weekend, go out there and kick some butt. What's happening in the short course world, John? Well, it's interesting. This Bevan. race looks cool, doesn't it? Well, yes and no. Oh, my you mum, you're not into it. Um, I, I sort of am. So this weekend, uh, the World Triathlon Championship Series heads over to Montreal for age groupers. It's the World Short Course Championships. So, so short is in like 3K. Sprint, sprint distance. Okay. Um, and for juniors and things like that, this is their, their world champs. So it's, it should be a, a nice big event. And But they're going for a different format. And we've seen IT, or not ITU, World Triathlon try a few different formats. This one's different again. Uh, the distance is a very short. It's a super sprint, 300 meter swim, 7.2k bike, 2k Ooh, run. That's hard. So 60 athletes per gender will qualify to have qualification on the first day. The top 10 in each um, race will go through to so the finals. Three races. Um, and then the top five finishes and the repercharge races of those did not qualify in those events. Then the day two, you've got 30 athletes, so male and female, will line up and then it's an uh, eliminator format. So stage one, um, the f- top 20 will go through, stage top, stage two, um, you'll drop down. So first you'll start with 30, then you'll drop to 20, and then the last, last race, race will, you'll drop down to 10. What do you like about this? Um, <clears throat> well, it'll I thought you'd love this. I do. 
I just I worry about athlete welfare. Oh, I just say how hard it is. It's, they're racing so much, and you're putting them through but is, four but, hard races in a, in a day. But, what other sports do that? But but in saying that, if you're a Hayden Wild, a, you know you know the, the guys who got pretty, they're not going to race hard every race. I'd agree. And for those guys, it's not quite so bad because they will. You know, the first race they'll be, I don't know. In third gear, yeah. they'll probably have to go third gear for first race, fourth gear, fifth gear, and the last race is, is sort of full, full noise. Um, but those athletes that are maybe 10 through 20 who are trying to make that top 10, they've probably got to go maximum every bloody race. Oh, yeah, so t- the totally, top totally. tier, not so much, but those in the sort of 10 through 20. But the big efforts, you know, most, most athletes are probably going to do one big effort, maybe two big efforts over the, the four races. Mm. And, and the ones who won't make it probably aren't going to do two big fits as well. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm really interested in it. Um, and But I think the thing is, it's the last race is going to be the one where it really matters. Yeah. And the first couple of races, it's just going to be strategic. And, and what we've seen from Super League when they do this sort of format is those first couple of races, there's no incentive to, to smash it other than just being cautious and making sure you get in the, in the right numbers. So they're not so, trying to get like a bonus 10 seconds off if you win the race or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So if there was a bit more on the line on those first couple of events, uh, then I think it'd be a bit more Okay, so when, you, when Super League have done this, because th- like, let's be honest, the first race, it's it's who's getting dropped off is the interesting thing, isn't it? You know, because mm. the guys at the front aren't going to, guys and girls at the front aren't going to try smash it out. That you know, if you know you're in the top ten, you're cruising the finish, aren't you? So mm. it becomes an interesting spectator sport, doesn't it? Because you're only really watching who's losing or who's going to get mm. eliminated up until the final, really. Whereas uh, I like this format when it's in the enduro format, not the eliminator. When you do swim bike run, swim bike run, swim bike run back to back, because then the first two swim bike runs matter because you can you can split the field okay. uh, and you can get rid of uh, some athletes okay. relatively nice. easily so I prefer that format I'm interested to see how it goes you know what we see in Super League is it's a bit smaller um, and they probably I don't know how they probably only have ma- maximum 20 athletes so here we're going to have 30 20 and 10 and I think the, the strength of the field here is going to be significantly um, higher than what we would see at a Super League race Super League these days they often have you know four or five really good athletes and then the the, the next sort of five are uh, over lower stand than what, yep. what you might see at a world championship series race so with this with this if they did do incentivizing to to do well in the eliminators as well because you know like I was saying before we are looking at watching races where we're just kind of seeing who's falling off hmm. um, but if they had incentives that were, were, were good but fair you know so if you win one of the first eliminator race you might get a or points, either it's a points format with prize money, um, but the last race matters the most. Okay, so yep, the first nice. race might be one third points, second race might be two thirds, and the last one might be yep. you know double what you'd get in the first one. Something along those lines, and some money on the line to incentivize. And have they done that do before? Uh, I've not, to my knowledge, have ever seen that done before. Because I kind of think that's what you need. Hmm. Because, like, in some ways, when I read this, oh, this is really cool. But the more you talk about it, it's like really the only race you want to watch is the last, the last race. One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, and as you were saying with the endurance level before, it seems quite cool because it does influence the whole outcome as the race is progressing through. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, you know, well, we'll be interested to see. John. On the upside, all in for innovation and trying different things. So I'm yeah, not being overly sure. critical. You know, if if <laughs> if we just had you know, the same old Olympic distance all the, all the way through the series, it get, does get a bit bland. So nice to see they're changing things up a bit. Okay, this week's discussion. So in this week's discussion, we were asking, did you enjoy the recent sub 
seven sub eight. And what challenge would you like to see next time? I'll start with Nick Miller. He goes, it was awesome. Professional triathletes are entertainers. And the sub seven, sub eight had all the pre-hype event, pre-event hype that you could ask for. Drama you didn't see coming and amazing performances by one and all. What's not to like? Next year, six men, six women teams vying for $1 million championship check in each division. That'd be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool. Yeah. I always, I just accidentally clicked on something on our Facebook page and it's a picture of Phil Patterson mounting his bike at the House of Travel Triathlon Festival about 10 years ago. Oh, was <laughs> so it? It's this flying mount. No, it's a little video clip. And <laughs> I'm not sure if it was me filming it or somebody else or my wife, but you can see him doing the flying mount and he lands square on his balls. He was okay. He did a fantastic <laughs> mount, but it's just got a picture of film oh. and myself and my wife are just going, whoo, <laughs> 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 Because it was it was a good mount, but you can get those things uh, quite wrong sometimes. Uh, right, Bevan, I'll start with Toby Schnell. Liked it better than expected, but unless someone wants to go sub six, zero appeal to watch another round. Yeah, but then my next point of bringing money into it, like a, a big payday, mm-hmm. where it was, we actually made it like it was funny, really, because I didn't see it as a race, and then mm-hmm. when you saw Joe's interview, where he was actually gutted he didn't win it. Mm. You know, I kind of go, oh, yeah, it was a race. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they made it a racing for me. Anyway, Rebecca Jocelyn's got, I would think it'd be great if the PTO did this as a US versus Europe versus um, Asia Pacific. Uh, They could have the top three from each team. This would require captains to do a lot more strategic work and identify with the team. Uh, Tom Himbert, I turned in to watch the end of the swim and the beginning of the bike, ended up watching the whole thing. I was very sceptical of the concept beforehand, but loved it. We'd love to see it running again, possibly with more athletes on the course. Matt Waterfield's got way better than expected. The racing rivalry was what made it. I'd be interested to see Ironman drafting rules applied to the bike, so the pace line rather than the TT, to see if the sub-7-8 is possible then. Not sure if it would be a better spectacle, but it would be more online with the iron distance. Uh, Travis George, I was hooked. I turned it on for the quick look and ended up watching hours. I thought the commentators like Brownlee and McEwen were insightful. That was Robbie McEwen. Have six of the best men and women, big cash, same, same team format, but only once uh, to see what could happen. How fast could Jan or Lucy go in this format when you con- confirm uh, you consider their swim? Okay, good old Andy Ashen's got here. It was a great production. Also, a fit Alistair would have whipped Christian Bloomfield. Yeah, he's got faster swim by three or four minutes. Same bike as Joe and probably would have ran at 2.35. Right. So Interesting. Yeah. But he didn't, did he? He didn't. Would have, could have, should have. Christian Bloomfield maybe could have gone 10 minutes quicker. Who knows? Yeah. Um, oh, last one I'll do... Um, Roland Young, a lover of everything about endurance challenges. It was engaging and fascinating. I love the new format of triathlon events based around the team format. Uh, the two-up two up team triathlon with several teams of two triathletes is a simple concept. Two athletes race as a team. Um, the, the bike and two-up time trial format, so you're just sort of lapping it out between two of you, um, but other teams cannot draft off each other. Uh, everywhere, everywhere else, normal rules apply. The teams will time will be taken from the second triathlon crossing triathlete crossing the line so you do the work as a team throughout the whole or both yeah nice good idea good done a two up time trial but it's basically two of you time trying together the whole way you oh, swim the bike and the run it's a cool way but you need to get pretty matching athletes wouldn't you oh hell yeah you know like it's pretty <laughs> pointless otherwise 
Well, you, then you then you get strategic if you're a bit strong. Do the brick, do the brick a band thing. Yeah, if you that would probably be in the rule somewhere. But if you had a real axe cyclist um, who's maybe a little bit weaker runner and vice versa, you might just go you to you know sixty percent of the riding, I do forty, and then I'll try to help you a little bit on the run. Yeah, Scott Watkins got it was great. I'd like to see the same challenge with Bevan and John going head to head. Well, I'll tell you one thing: <laughs> I'll be looking off and getting my binoculars out, seeing John off in the future in the distance because um, it's been a long time since I've ridden a bike. Okay, uh, Jombo, your thoughts? Uh, I've got just about zero interest in watching this again uh, in a in a format because it's been done. You go, it's been done. We know it can be done. It's like how much quicker do you go? I don't care if they go six forty seven versus six forty three. Yeah, but so. if you made it a race. Uh, Have you got I, 10 teams? I would rather see other other things done before before this. Uh, so there's been some good suggestions there around a two-up time trial. What I think would probably work best is to incorporate this into the Collins Cup uh and not necessarily an iron distance race, but having some different formats in the Collins Cup. I might have said that last week, you know. So that two-up time trial by Roland Young, that's a great idea. So rather than having, you know, 12 races where you're going head-to-head, you maybe have six races where you go head-to-head and, and then a bunch of other races where you've got a slightly different format. Um, uh, I, I like the sound of that. And I like different things, but in terms of having cyclists just come in and drag drag someone around um, doesn't really do it what the one off I thought it was great it was way better than I thought it was going to be so I loved it all um but no, I to watch it again. did you enjoy it more than the Collins Cup um mm, not really I uh, think I did yeah yeah I think the Collins Cup if, it, if you if the Collins Col- it had a bit of mystery to it because like can they do it mm. you know like you're watching it and you think you know and it was something a little bit different um and you're thinking, can they do it? Whereas the Collins Cup... The problem with the Collins Cup is Europe are just so dominant at the moment. Yeah. You guess this year we're going to no go interest. into it going, yeah. there could be some interesting racing here, but the Europeans are just going to crush it all. And is it always going to be the case? Um, because come on, let's be honest, America haven't been in the game since the early 2000s. Mm. Um, Australasia, we have moments, but we... More often than not, yeah. yeah. Europe, Europe are going to crush it. Take out UK, Britain out of Europe. Maybe um, that needs to happen. Mm. <laughs> Well, no, we'll because just you change want, world geography well, just well, to well, suit our sport. But you, you do need to make the sport, you know, there was that period in the state of origin for those league lovers out there where Queensland won like 10 out of 9, 9 out of 10 in a row. Mm. And it kind of killed it because it was when mm. Schumacher was winning everything. You know, it was mm. like it, dominance kills a sport in mm. some ways, um, unless it's a really close dominance. Whereas, mm. again, this year's Collins Cup, we'll watch it because we like the sport. Mm. And they'll try to hype up the rivalries. Mm. Day. And there'll definitely be some wins for the yeah. internationals and the Americans, but but you, you you wouldn't bet on it, would you? I can't see Europe losing it. They'd have to have a complete shamozzle. Yeah, so I do think you know maybe you chuck Britain out of it and you say the Commonwealth. Yeah, you know you could do. Everyone's the leaving the Commonwealth. Yeah, Jamaica true. was last night. They were we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this week's discussion is what is the most epic training day that you can think of that you would like to attempt? So Not what a, you've done. It's what you'd like to do. So is it like a 24-hour period? Yep. You're at 24 hours. Okay, there we go. Uh, John's quiz question. This is a good one today, guys. Uh, John's quiz question. What is it, Jumbo? How many times did Mark Allen finish in the top 10 in Kona before he won? This is a really interesting question because I know he failed so many times, yes. but finished in the top 10. Mm. Yeah, and now he's got a bonus, which is pretty easy. What year did he win it first? Yeah, just putting an easy yeah. one out there for yeah. people that might not you don't know. The what board. year did Mark Allen uh, was the first year he won? And how many times prior to that did he finish in the top 10? Do you know the answer? No, I you don't. I do not. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be rough because he blew up all the time, didn't he? Mm. That was the problem. Okay. Oh, how are we, how are we going to do the, the age group? I know it's working now. Well, no, I've, I've put another link in there. The oh, okay. Ironman website, their results uh, archive was deciding not to work for me, but I've uh, got a workaround. Okay. The good news is we're going to be doing age, age grouper of the week. week. Okay. Age group of the week this week is all about the St. World George. Championship. St. George champions in the race this year, and we're going to be doing a 60-plus in the males and females. John, you go first. Okay. Uh, so first in the females, 60-64, was Lynn Fielder. She went 12-36 for a 16-minute, no, six-minute victory over Mary Jo's cassette and Anne Foxman's third. So we had uh, North America domination there. North America domination in the men's as well. Steve Gallant took it out in the 10.36. He did a dojo domination over Mark Mumford, and he won by about 23 minutes, so well done. Females, 65-69. Uh, we had a Swiss Irene Gambaro take that out by over an hour. She went 14.44 for a 63-minute victory over a trio of Americans. And Irene's uh, rankings in the, each discipline were 1 hour 27 swim, 7.42 on the bike, and 5.16 on the bike. Nice work. Okay, in the, female, in the males race, we had, uh, this is the 65-69, Martin Gullen from Gullen from the UK. He did an 11.09, another hour domination. He actually went by an hour nine over Bruce Thompson from the USA. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and the final females age group where we had some finishes was the 70 to 74. There was actually quite a few entered. There was probably about a good 10 or so, but only three looked like they participated. Uh, all, it was bloody, oh, the last two must have come over the line together. So first place was Diane Tracy in 16 hours and 33 minutes. And then... Um, it wasn't quite a second equal because there's one second between them. Uh, Alexandra Donkers uh, was 16.59.30 and Missy Lestrange was 16.59.31. So I wonder if they had a sprint finish or if they just crossed the line together and it sort of somehow gave them one second difference. But awesome, 70-74 females. How about this for 70-74? Rick Simpson from America, 13.37. That's solid. That is solid. Let's look at his split. So he did a, he biked, he swam 110, biked 638 and ran a 535. Mm. It's 70 to 74. Mm. Great. Quite a few people in the age group didn't finish as well. I think we had about five finishes out of about 20. Uh, Now, do I have any more? You're saying it's the last of yours. There's none in the 80 to 84 for the men. And seven, oh, there's one Simon Butterworth. And 75 to 79 did a 1558. Got under the sub 16. Nice work, Simon Butterworth. Oh, love your work, Simon. That's, so, though, are the that's the end of our age group winners for the world championships that happened in St. George. It was on the website, it says 2021. Yes, I don't didn't need to do that. <laughs> well, well, they can't have two 2022 world champions in one year, so they kind of did need yeah, to do Yeah, but it. in the future, you'll look back and you go, oh, I don't know. It'll, it'll fade. It'll Blame fade. it on COVID. Blame it on COVID. Blame it on, we've got an interview going up. Who is it, Jumbo? We have. So the RAM has started across America. So that's when you ride across America. And there's a good um, website where you can go and find out that. It's ramrace.org. Lots of resources on there. Got all sorts of different formats. You've got an individual format. Um, you've got various different teams ranging from two to eight people. Um, when I had a quick look yesterday, it looked like there's about 100 entrants, but that doesn't mean there's only 100 people. A lot of the teams were eight-person teams yeah. and stuff. Um, 
because uh, I saw Christine Whites, who was the person I stayed with her family the first time we went over to Roach. Oh, the um, young Reedy girl. Yeah, she's yeah. done it before as part of a, I think it was like a four-man women's team or something like that. This time she looks like she's just doing it as part of a two-person team. Uh, there was quite a few eight-person teams. And so when you've got that, that sort of format, you know, you're just swapping it out, you're doing it. If you're racing it, you can do some relatively short stints and just go in and out of the um, RV. And I'm sure it'd be good, good times. It'd be pretty intense when you're sort of going on and off, on off, on off, on off all the way through. But anyway, the, um, the race is on at the moment. There's all sorts of different formats you can do it when you want to do it by yourself, whether it be supported, unsupported. Um, and when you listen to this next interview with Jenny Lorenz, she mentions. Um, uh, the uh, cycling website a couple of times on there which I'd urge you to go and look at uh, if you're keen to go and do something like this so riding across America I don't, I don't think it's going to be something I ever do but it's something I would love to go and do um, do a big big long distance adventure like that as you're going to hear the way Jenny's done it was pretty relaxed and, and sort of uh, not too crazy I'd probably go a little, little more extreme um, but right across Europe or right across America a cool thing to do so oh. here comes Jenny Lorenz here she is right now righto team uh, as you heard earlier in the show um, we have got Jenny Lorenz on the show today quite topical because I uh, lined this up a few weeks ago I didn't realise at the time that the RAM is starting so that's a ride across America the sort of official version which um, starts in somewhere in California and goes all the way across to somewhere new, near New York by the look of it. Um, but Jenny, a few weeks or a few couple of months ago, uh, did her own version of RAM. Uh, she was finished it raising money for Alzheimer's, riding from San Diego to Florida. Little Barry Breffel said, you should get her on. She's uh, been a legendary triathlete, won her age group one year at an Ironman um, by 25 minutes. Other claims to fame, when she did win that, she went over to Kona and had a bit of a DI2 failure and had to do most of the bike ride in one gear. Oh, I that. <laughs> um, she's also a mum and been a CEO of a business, so she knows what it's like to, to fit things around a, um, a hectic life. Uh, so we're going to find out more about riding across America. So welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So before we start talking about the, the riding, tell us a, a little bit about yourself. You know, I've given the 10-second the, the introduction, but maybe where you're from and, and a little bit about your background, you know, athletically. Okay. Um, well, I'm from, I live in Iowa, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, and I have been a longtime athlete. I was a runner in high school and college and then started cycling recreationally <clears throat> after I moved here, actually, to Cedar Rapids um, after I graduated from college and was working and uh, started doing a lot of recreational cycling, doing things like ragbri and whatever. Um, and then I started racing in when I was 40 actually I did my first triathlon when I was 40 and fell in love with the sport and then just kind of progressed from sprint distance to Olympic to half Ironman and then I did my first Ironman in 2006 and I really liked the distance and the discipline that comes with all the Ironman training and preparation and and so I've uh, for the last you know bulk of the years I've focused on the longer course stuff um, and really enjoy it. So that's just kind of a little bit about my background um, as far as how I got into the sport and, and so forth. Before we dig deep into that stuff, if you're a CEO, a mother, and an athlete, how did you manage yourself? Um, well, a lot of early mornings and 
you know, I had, I had two kids and um, that were both very active in athletics. And my daughter was a collegiate heptathlete, uh, D- division one collegiate heptathlete as well. And so we spent a lot of time following her around to all of her events um, in the past decade. And um, I, I think that it was just a discipline to get up early, get a workout banged out right away in the morning. And when everybody else goes to lunch over lunch hour, I'd go out and run. And I was fortunate that my company uh, was supportive of uh, having workout facilities in our locations. We had showers. And so I'd go out and run on my lunch hour and then come back and take a shower and get ready for my afternoon meetings. Um, So I was just very, very specific with my time. Um, I, I used to say that I would plan my days down to the five minute increment. And, you know, then of course, if something happened to derail that, then the whole day was, you know, ah, (laughs) but, and then I, uh, you know, I take my, take my daughter to soccer practice. And while everybody else sits around and watches practice, I go run during practice or whatever, you know, I just made things work that way. So. So, so very detailed the time planning. I like it. So what, what brought on the aspired you to do the road across America? What was the trigger or the, the spark that brought that out for you? Well, I, I just love to ride. I mean, I, in, I, we live in Iowa and it's, you know, we have all seasons here. And so I have, you know, my TT bike and my road bike and my junkie bike and my fat bike. And, you know, we, and my touring bike. And so we bike year round here. So I just love to spend time riding. And it was just, I've done a little bit of touring prior to my retirement in January, but it just was one of those things that had been on my bucket list. I just wanted to ride across the country. And um, so my mother is um, in the end stages of Alzheimer's. She's, she's going to, you know, she's at the really latter part of the disease. And, and um, I, I wanted to do something to make, to try to make a difference, to try to, you know, help in some manner, because it's beyond my capability to help her. You know, I, there's nothing I can do um, other than just be there, but I wanted to do something. And so I thought, well, what makes sense to me is to marry my love of cycling and my desire to ride across the country, along with my desire to give back and to try to make a difference in honor of my mom. And so I contacted our local Alzheimer's chapter here in Cedar Rapids. And I actually have a friend that works there and said, hey, I have this idea. I'd like to um, ride across the country and raise funds for Alzheimer's along the way. And so she got me a list of all of the Alzheimer's chapters across the country. And then uh, we started looking at the Adventure Cycling Association route maps and decided that um, the Southern Tier route, which is the one we took from San Diego, California to St. Augustine, Florida, made a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Um, First of all, I hate the cold and it's crappy and cold here in March. And (laughs) so I thought, well, what better way to get out, 
get the heck out of Iowa than to start biking in San Diego in March where it's 82 and sunny all the time. And so <laughs> then coming through Arizona and coming through New Mexico and coming through Texas, you know, it's beautiful weather that time of the year down there in, in uh, March, April and May. And so it just made perfect sense to do that. And so then um, I contacted then the Alzheimer's chapters that were in the major cities along that route. So uh, to arrange um, like events where we would have a, a set, we called them send off events where we people from the Alzheimer's chapters, local cyclists, whoever in the community, we had media come to a lot of them would then come and send off. Some people would ride with us for the day out of whatever city. And we had these send-off events and coordinate, coordinated them with the Alzheimer's chapters in um, San Diego, Tempe, Arizona, uh, El Paso, Texas, Austin, Texas, New Orleans, um, Pensacola, Florida, and then, uh, and then an end finishing event in St. Augustine when we got there to the ocean. So we had champagne and you know, people and, uh, one of the video and it was fun. How long did it take to plan this? Because I'm, I'm planning a big adventure when I'm 50, um, doing the length of New Zealand. And I've already started the planning now, but I, I kind of enjoy planning and researching and things like that. So how long did it take for you to, to bring this together in terms of the route planning and, and just you know, getting it all together? Well, I started, I didn't really do much prior to my retirement, um, which was in January of this year. And so once, once I was done working, I I dug in hard. And so then we, you know, we started planning the route. I took the Adventure Cycling Association route maps and like looked at all the mileage each day and all of the elevation gain each day and said, okay, what's going to be reasonable mileage for our group to make on a day-to-day -day basis? And then um, kind of said, well, okay, then we've got to allow for potential bad weather or a potential RV breakdown or whatever, you know, and then set some goals and then plan these events based around those goals. And um, so we didn't, we didn't have real aggressive mileage. It wasn't like, you know, the actual Ram event where they're racing across America. Yeah. We did it recreationally paced. We had riders of, of multiple levels of, of capability. And so, and, you know, these people that would join us from the cities that we were in, many of them were rec just recreational riders, not racers. And so we wanted to gear the event to accommodate everyone who wanted to join us and be part of the event and part of the team to raise money. And so um, I spent, you know, January and February really pouring through those maps and and working with the Alzheimer's uh, staff across the country to uh, I, I even you know attended some of their board meetings and that type of thing to introduce the concept to um, to some of their team members and so forth and and then they arranged media in local in local markets and so then you know we had some interviews with local media before we left and, and, and then along the way as well. So all of that, it was, I would say a good solid couple of months, you know, before we actually took off, which was on March 12th of this year. 
So um, how far were you, were you doing each day? And you've talked a little bit about the different routes you can do for, for RAM. As I said earlier, um, I think the, the, the race they're doing at the moment goes from somewhere in California towards somewhere in New York. You took a southern, southern route. Is there quite a few routes you can, you can take? And, and what sort of distances were you guys doing each day? Yeah, there, there are. There's, they have, you know, the, the Southern Tier route that we took, they've got one that goes kind of central through. They've got one, a Northern route that starts up in um, Washington State, I believe, and ends in New York. And then they've got kind of combinations of all of the above that go through different parts of the country. Um, they're very well established and very well documented, which is really nice because, you know, you know, if you get into this town, how big it is, if they have facilities, and so forth. And so the, the maps, I can't say enough good things about them. And then we downloaded the GPX files too, to, to put in um, our Garmin. And that way, you know, we had turn by turn directions on that as well. We averaged about um, between 50 and 60 miles a day, which is very, very doable for all of us. Um, but some days we, road 40, if we had a lot of elevation gain, or if we had bad weather or whatever. Um, and then some days we rode 80, it just, you know, it just kind of depended on the terrain coming out of California, you go up over a mountain range. And then in uh, New Mexico, you go up over a mountain range as well. And I mean, I think our biggest day was overall, we had like, I think we rode 70 some miles, 72 miles maybe, and gained over 6,000 feet of elevation that day. So that day was a pretty big day. Um, but overall, you know, I would say we'd average between 50 and 60 miles. And we did have a couple of rest days off the bike. We got into to Tempe a couple of days early. We got into Austin a couple of days early, which worked out really well there because several of us had family there. And so we got to spend a couple of days with family and what better place, Austin's a blast. Um, that town is super fun. And then we had a day off in New Orleans, which was crazy fun because it was happened to be jazz fest going on. And we got to see the who in concert that night, which was like completely unexpected. Wow. We had no, we didn't even know what was going on. And we're like, what's going on? How come there's all these people here? What's the, <laughs> what's the deal? How come we can't find a camp spot? And it's like, well, it's jazz fest, you know? And oh, okay. So, so that was really a, a pleasant surprise in, in, um, what was the typical day? What was the typical day experience? You know, because you, I imagine, did you get up early, get the ride done? Have the, like, was was about four hours riding a day, five hours of riding a day? Yeah, I'd say we averaged four ish ride hours a day. Um, and we, but we never, we weren't in a big hurry to get up in the morning. I, did I mention I don't like to be cold? <laughs> so <laughs> out in the Southwest in the desert, it's cold in the morning. And so it's like, no, nah, let's just wait until it warms up a little bit. And knowing that we're only going to ride, couple, you know, four hours and we had support um, with our RV driver, we, it, there was no reason to get up the crack of dawn and we're retired. We're, you know, just out to have a good time. And so we, we, you know, get up, have coffee, pack, pack everything up, get the RV ready to go. And, and then we'd take off and, and, end usually late afternoon ish and find somewhere to eat. And which was a challenge in some of the towns, cause out, especially out West, some of those places are pretty barren. Um, but then, yeah, and then just head, head to camp and hang out. And we met a lot of local people in every place we were at, which was really nice and 
just really fun to experience the, you know, local culture and because it's different all across the country. And so it was really a fun, fun experience. So talk us through some of the nuts and bolts, you know, so if people you know, are thinking about doing something like this themselves in terms of things like accommodation, you know, what you guys did and what you may do differently. If, if you were going to say go a bit more extreme and, and try to sort of not necessarily race it, but, but you know, be, be doing a bit more of the Ram style where, where they are sort of pushing along a bit more. So what sort of things did you learn about accommodation, support crew, gear and so on? Basically, you know, some advice you give people. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I personally would do different, um, I, I would have been fine with not having, you know, we had a really big RV um, that we, that were our accommodations and I would have been fine with a lesser, like smaller vehicle pulling a trailer or something just to be able to have more options to camp because uh, you got a 35 foot monster it's that limits your abilities to just you know to stealth camp or whatever and that was could that was problematic at times we we had to do some shuttling back and forth and that was tiresome and i i wouldn't do that again if it were me personally um i'd be content to sleep in my van and and or in a tent or whatever as long as i had someone hauling my stuff now if i bike packed it um the bikepacking thing would be really fun and I would entertain doing that as well. Um, but you'd have to be really, really strategic about what you're taking to accommodate all types of weather. We were incredibly blessed this year because we rode, well, we didn't ride the entire time because I mentioned we had a couple of days off the bike, but 64 days was our you know, from start to finish. And we rode, we got caught in rain one day. Wow. That's, out amazing. Of those, That's, That's phenomenal. Yeah, it was amazing. And there were two other days. Once we got east of Austin, um, I think once one was in New Orleans and I can't remember where else, maybe one day in Florida, where we had a delay in the morning because it was raining. So we just said, well, we'll just wait out this, you know, this, um, storm that's coming through and start later and get as many miles in as we can. And we ended up getting a full day's riding in anyway, which was, you know, absolutely phenomenal. So if you, if we would have been self-contained on um, this route with these conditions, it would have been very pleasant because we wouldn't have had to deal with, you know, wrath of God storms or whatever, because we just mm -hmm. didn't have them, but that's unusual because that time of the year, in this, especially in the deep South, there's a lot of storms and a lot of rainfall. We were just really lucky. So I think you'd have to be very strategic about allowing, you know, you to have the, the necessary gear to deal with the rain and deal <laughs> with whatever, you know, and when you're bikepacking, you got to jam a lot of stuff in a little space and that can be a challenge at times. So having somebody along the route to support that you could at least have extra gear and stuff is, you know, obviously really desired because even if you don't need them, it's kind of like an insurance policy and they're there for you. So any real challenges you guys face? Again, you weren't going super extreme, but any uh, major saddle soreness or um, mechanical failures or anything that, you know, you guys had to sort of problem solve a bit on the fly. 
Well, I, I never had any, none of us that rode, we had, there were three of us that rode the entire way. Um, myself and a really good uh, friend of mine who, and she also did all of our social media stuff. She's a whiz at that. And then a, a gentleman that, um, that I train with, who's also an Ironman athlete, we were the, uh, we were the core that did all of the miles. And then there were, we had six other people that kind of came and went Barry, you mentioned Barry earlier, mm. Barry being one of them. Um, he's still working. And so he, you know, had to arrange being able to coordinate a week here and a week there around his work schedule. And then we had several others that did that as well. Um, and so it was kind of, it's kind of interesting that you asked this. We had one guy who I, I won't name his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but mm -hmm. he's crazy fast and he does all these extreme, just nutso races. And he's, he's a bike racer and a, you know, gravel racer. And he does all of this stuff and he is just insanely fast. And so he rode with us for about a week, but he would like take off and ride ahead and then come back and, you know, to get double the miles in and, and like, you know, and then when he left his car in El Paso and rode, you know, I can't even remember where to, I can't even remember where it was close to Austin. And then he just, the last day said, okay, well, I'm going to ride back to my car. And he just took off and rode back, you know, like 200 oh, miles or some ridiculous <laughs> amount. And, but the thing was, he got saddle, he got such bad saddle source and chafing. And I think it was because he was riding slower when he was riding with us. And it just put different pressure on him than he's normally used to. And he got saddle source from it. And the rest of us were just fine. <laughs> Was it was it was it that challenging? Like you know, like you're obviously a very fit woman, and you've you know, you've been a pretty high level athlete in your time. You've done a lot of volume. Uh, was it was it challenging, or was it more just a cool experience? I I somebody it's funny you asked me that because somebody asked me that last weekend. You know, was there ever a day you just got up and said, "Ugh, I do not want to ride today," and I can with one hundred percent honesty tell you that no, I never felt that way. Every day I got, that we got up, I was looking forward to getting back on the bike. I never felt tired from it. I never felt overdone. I just, and I think again, because we were riding at a reasonable pace and we, um, you know, we're more in it for the experience and the culture and um, rather than seeing how fast we could go. And so as a result, I, I never found it even remotely challenging. Now, you know, there were a couple of days where we did a ton of climbing and it was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to be done climbing, but that's short lived and it goes away. And mm -hmm. then, then you're fine. So I, I never felt that way. Awesome. I will have a link to the, your fundraising page if people want to, to, to get on there and uh, support the cause. Um, how did the fundraising go and how did, how did things, you know, sort of finish up with, um, with the Alzheimer's crew? The fundraising went really well, and we're still doing that. Um, our, our particular fundraiser was part of um, the Alzheimer's Association Longest Day event, which the longest day is coming up. June 21st is the summer solstice is the long, it's tomorrow, I guess. And um, our actual event page will be open, I believe, until August 1st. Nice. And if you Google, um, our, the name of our team is Team Biking to Remember. And if you Google Team Biking to Remember, then there's a link um, on Google to, there's a link to our Alzheimer's uh, 
fundraising page. There's another link that goes to our Facebook page. There's another link that goes to our Instagram page. We, um, I, I mentioned before that my friend Kathy, she's a social media wizard. Every day that we get done writing, we would post a recap and on our Instagram and Facebook pages. And we had a lot of fun with the recaps. Um, I don't know if you guys have taken a look at any of them, but you know, we put out fun facts about today. So we'd always put out, you know, how many miles we rode that day, what our elevation gain was, how many flats we had, how many cans mm -hmm. of Pringles we ate, you know, just goofy stuff like that. And we did that. We did a, a recap um, every day then and had pictures and just, you know, pictures of the signs of where we were. And, and we did some reels and some videos and some uh, Facebook live things as well. And, um, as a result, our fundraising just kept getting going stronger and stronger and stronger as we worked our way across the country. We also had cards made up with our route and our event days and, and our fundraising uh, team name. And, and we gave those out to people as we met along the way. We had t-shirts made and we sold, we sold out of all of our t-shirts. People nice. wanted to buy them. And um, we had those printed before we left. We had the cards printed before we left. And then that way, people that we met along the way then had a means to find us and donate. We ended up raising just shy, right as of right now, it's, we're just shy of $39,000. Um, I'd love to see that increase. Yeah, our, our mm -hmm. team goal for the whole thing was $50,000. Um, I don't know if we're going to make that or not, but I tell you, I, I couldn't be more thrilled because we just, we had such amazing support and even we'd meet strangers in you know just people coming up to us and they'd see us our group with our jerseys matching jerseys and they'd be like well what are you guys doing well how can we donate you know and we'd just give them a card and say hey all you need to do is go to this website and it's super easy and so and we we got a lot of donations that way just from meeting people along the way and especially from people who have unfortunately had Alzheimer's touch their lives because it's very prevalent. And, um, you know, one, one woman I remember we met in, uh, in St. Augustine when we were finishing, she actually was in, you know, crying in tears and wrote a checkout and gave it to me right then and there. She was like, Oh, thank you nice. for doing this. My, my sister just died of Alzheimer's three weeks ago and it's just awful. And I'm so happy that somebody's doing something to try to make a difference. And, so, you know, those are the kinds of experiences that just made it so worthwhile and just did, does your heart good. Awesome. That sounds like a wicked, wicked experience and done for a really good cause. Any, anything on the, the triathlon horizons, any goals wait, wait, or anything wait, wait, like that? Um, oh, yeah, we, um, I'm doing, I just did an event this past weekend with uh, some friends and it was called the Horribly Hilly Hundreds. I don't huh. know if you've ever heard of it, but no. it's a, it's a, it's a one day ride it's, and they have like a hundred K or 150 K or a 200 K. We chose the 200 K foolishly. And um, it's one day, 200 K. And oh, I had over 11,100 feet of climb. Nice. And the grades are like anywhere from, well, the, I saw 18% a whole bunch of times and it about <laughs> made me cry. I was, I was like, yeah, by the end of, well, by the time I got to, 
124 miles and the course was actually four miles longer than 200k i was ready <laughs> to be done <laughs> i was getting a little crabby and a little hangry but um so and then i so we just did that this past weekend my next event that i've got is uh, boulder 70.3 that's in august um doing we're going to do raw again this year the ride across wisconsin which is like a 235 mile ride in one day we've done that several years in a row it's pretty fun awesome. uh, really well supported so I, I mean i might do another late season 70.3 i haven't decided yet so i've been battling some injuries and so i've i'm gonna see how boulder goes before i commit to another one just one final question. When, when you're at Kona uh, at Ironman um, and your DI2 ran flat, what stage of the race was that? And how did you physically and mentally sort of deal with that to actually get through, get through the race? Yeah, that was, that was a tough day. Um, so I went into that race, probably the most fit I have ever been in my life. And I, I'm trying to think of how old I was. That was a few years back, maybe because I'm six, I raced 61 this year. So I think I was, in the 55 to 59 year old age group when that happened, or maybe maybe the top of the one before that. So I don't know, mid fifties somewhere. And I was really fit and really ready. And I had a great swim. I came out of the water and I was so excited because I swam so well and I was feeling great on the bike. And at mile 30, cool. um, my DI2 went out and and so I, I said, I, I said something to, um, to the eight, one of the aid stations I passed, I said, can you get, you know, somebody from mechanical to come up the road, radio up because I, I can't shift. I want, and I wanted to keep going because I was hoping to, you know, maybe try to get top 10 that year. It was probably the only chance I'll ever have in my lifetime to do that. And so I'm riding along and, and pretty soon the mechanical support comes up and they had, you know, they had my bike torn apart. They pulled the seat, seat tube out and pulled the battery and they were messing around for literally like 15, 20 minutes. And they couldn't figure, they're like, ah, you know, this won't work. That won't work. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you're just going to have to put it back together. Cause I got to go. I'm just watching <laughs> everybody pass me by, you know? And I'm, so then I, had to make the climb up to hobby and I'm in one gear, you know, got one gear and I'm up out of the saddle, just grinding, trying to make the, that climb. People are like, what the heck is she doing? You know? And I said, I can't shift. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and then of course coming back and then you're in the, in the headwinds and, oh, it was a long day on the bike. And I, I actually, interestingly enough, it wasn't my, I've done Kona three times and it was my fastest bike I've ever done in Kona, <laughs> but I can tell you that the marathon the was a death march because <laughs> my legs were just shelled. You know, mm. I just didn't have anything left in the tank to run because I had to expend so much energy biking and so it was very disappointing. I was, I was pretty sad about it and yeah. feel like I've got some unfinished business out there, but I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to make it back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, hopefully one day. Yeah. Awesome. Jenny, great, great adventures and great. Thanks for sharing that. And hopefully you guys uh, a, want to go in there and support the cause and also have got some insight on what it's like to ride across America, a few tips and things like that. So Jenny, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And I, if I could just say one more thing, I, I just want to encourage people that if you ever have a desire to do something like this, you know, people are, people sometimes can get paralyzed by um, 
you know, all of the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And I would just say, just do it. You know, yeah. it's, you can do it and not have every detail planned down to the nth degree and still do something positive to make a difference for whatever cause it is that you're passionate about. And I would just encourage people to do that. It, it's just been so rewarding for so many reasons. And, and I just would encourage others to, you know, to take that leap. That's great. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Yes. Thank you. Jumbo, so I've just done some research. So the record is seven days and 15 minutes. Now those guys go crazy fast when they're, when they're doing That's that. That's unbelievable. They go fast. They're not really having any sleep. That but 4,800 Ks. Mm. With plenty of elevation, plenty of weather challenges usually. So wait a second. Let's look at this. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a good av- good average speed. Those guys are high-level cyclists. They're very extreme. Um, yeah, it's, it doesn't. That's racing. That's not necessarily what I would call enjoyable, but I suppose people would say the same They're thing about, about stuff what we basically do. Basically about 680k a day. Mm. A day? Yeah, it's crazy. How many k's are you riding? You know, so they're probably averaging, well, then you divide that by 24. Let's go, because they don't really stop much. They're doing about 28k an hour. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, they'd be averaging more like 32, 30, 33k yeah. an hour, and that's average. That is phenomenal, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. You know, like most people in the Ironman don't average that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, what do you average in Ironman? Uh, well, something like Roach 36. 30, 30, 36 is a five hour bike split. Jeez, that's impressive, isn't it? So, the cool, cool stuff. So, if you, you know, like, again, if you want to go and support um, Jenny's fundraising page, we'll have a link on our website if you want to go through there. Alzheimer's is a horrible disease that most of us have probably had some sort of impact um, from a family member. What does that smell, Bevan? What's going on in your house? Smells of what? I can't smell it. Joe must be doing some cleaning. Or must be something next door, the building site. It sounds like it smells like washing something wash. Yeah, you need your nose tested. Too much cocaine up that nose of yours. Oh, you mate, lost your smell. Should have seen me in the eighties. I was riding to Miami Vice. <laughs> okay, let's go. One, two, three, four, high five. John's doing the things he learned from Kona. We did do this last week That's as right, well. <laughs> So this was five random observations from the Kona 70.3 last, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I raced over there. Number one, we were the last male wave to, to start uh, from individuals. And I, th- I don't know what, we, I think we started at like 7.30 or something like that. It was in Kona, 7.30 in the morning, it's pretty toasty. Any time of the day over there, it's pretty toasty. Yep. And you've got to stand around for quite a while before you start. Um, and I was just bamboozled that everybody in my wave had their swim caps on god knows how long before the race like easy 20 to 30 minutes before the race i'm thinking you guys are going to get a roasting noggin over there because it's hot you lose your head is where you lose so much of your heat uh and so i didn't put my swim cap on until you know a minute or two before the the start just to try to keep cool for as long as possible and that is a key when you're racing in hot environments is throughout the day you're trying to stay as cool as possible for as long as possible so if you're at an event where it is going to you know be a bit cooler earlier on going to warm up you still want to be pouring water over you on the on the, the start of the bike ride to keep that core temperature down for as long as possible tip number one don't put your swim cap on until close to the start line okay Time. tip number two athletes persisting riding on the error bars at slow speed uphill so if you've been to Kona before you've heard the stories the the section up to Harvey is just a gradual grind you know in terms of percentages I don't know there's bits of two percent three percent probably only goes up to five percent on the sort of the main parts but there's a few that are, that are more than that but athletes just keep riding on the aero bars and they'll be going less than 10 miles an hour so less than 15 k's an hour you're much m- more efficient sitting up 
getting on the back of your seat, using a slightly different uh, muscle group, you'll be able to produce more power uh, and just that change of position. So that is tip number two. When you're going at slow speeds on gentle inclines, generally you're going to be better to sit up at least for a period and use uh, some different muscles and get a bit more power and you will likely go a lot quicker because the aerodynamic gains at those speeds is significantly less. Okay, then make sure you're using your aerobars on the way down. And this applies specifically to Kona, but lots of different races. If you've got straight line riding um, at low percentages, so you're going really quickly, you're generally going to be pedaling and hopefully pedaling pretty hard. Uh, you need to practice getting on your aero bars and staying there. And then in Kona at, uh, at Ironman time, you know you can get quite a bit of wind out right by Harvey, but generally, as long as you're used to it, you're actually going to be safer on your aero bars and, and keep pedaling than you are uh, sitting up on your, your hoods. Now that's a bit of a generalisation, you do have to practice that quite a bit, um, but yeah, make sure you practice riding high speed on your aero bars on gentle declines. Make sure you put ice in your cap when you're out there running. So Keller, we had a few people on the uh, the camp that were going to wear visors, and my advice to them was lose the visor, they're great for keeping the sun off your face and uh, keeping you a little bit cooler, you're much better off in hot races where they provide ice, uh, is getting an ice full a handful of ice, chucking it in your cap as you go through most of the aid stations, pouring a bit of water through that and the ice will slowly melt over your head and really help to keep uh, keep you a little bit cooler. So cap is king when they provide ice. Now in Hawaii, at Ironman and at 70.3, they are very, very good at providing ice. At different other hot races around the world, maybe they're not so good, but if they do supply it, I recommend a cap. Okay, and then lastly, walk versus run. You're walking your aid stations. Yeah, so over there, um, I was sort of going into damage limitation mode um, when I was on the run because I was completely overcooking and uh, and really struggling. Um, it was interesting because I was running along and I was with one of the leading females. I don't think she was leading. Maybe she was in second or third. And <clears throat> I'd go, go through an aid station and I was being really strict on myself going, I'm only allowed to start walking when I get to the first person in the aid station and I've got to start running when I get to the last person in the aid station. So I was trying to maximise cooling myself down, getting ice, getting whatever nutrition I was going to take on board and then get going again. And I was losing around about 50 metres to this particular female at each aid station but then I would catch that up and generally pass her um, and just make it aid station to aid station and for me as soon as the temperature dropped slightly on the last lap when um, the wind picked up slightly then I was just able to to boom away so for me that's just a bit of a a stat for you I was losing about 50 metres per aid station walking but making that up because I was able to get myself a little bit more comfortable. In a race like that, were you trying to do a run, run walk strategy, or was it more just use your aid stations? Um, in the normal circumstances at that race, I'd walk every second aid station, but it would be a real power fast walk, yep. uh, and I'd have a, a timer on for that. And this one, I had to switch to damage limitation, and okay. it was after the first lap walking every aid station and just trying to uh, trying to survive. Okay, there you go. There's the high five on random observations from Kona 70.3. Let's go into our winger of the week. Now, we're doing the same one we did last week or not? No, we're doing a new one. We're doing a new one. Why would we do it last week? Because we didn't do it last week in remember. We oh, right. <laughs> okay, so this week we're going to be looking I at I think, I think we did one Brett last week. Hayes from Australia. Yes. So I, uh, random.org picked out number 46, which was Brett Hayes, and he has dropped to number 47, so somebody's updated their, their file since then. But Brett Hayes did 
13 activities um, from 3 hours and 18 minutes of swimming, 10 hours and 20 minutes on the old uh, treadley on the bicycle, and then 1 hour and 50 minutes of running. Brett looks like he's up on Doing the... some weights training as well. Yeah, he's up on the Gold Coast or somewhere around that in Australia. Uh, and also doing a little bit of cross training, plenty of Zwifting. Looks like he's been really consistent with his training. Um, last week was a, a bigger week, but all the way through uh, sort of January through to now, pretty consistent. Must have done a big race. I'm suspecting maybe he went over and did uh, like Ironman WA or something like that because he's had a bit of a peak in November, December last year and then a few weeks off around Christmas time. Um, uh, so he has done solid, solid stuff. Biggest bike ride he's ever done, uh, 204 kilometres. Nice. Nice work. Nice uh, climb was 546, which isn't that high, you think, if you've done that much biking. Yeah, but if you live in Australia, there's not many big mountains, no. so unless you're going uh, travelling, um, there's not too much to take in. Uh, estimated marathon time, 3 hours 49.20. Uh, does a bit of Zwifting as well, and I saw, I'm wondering if Brett might be injured at the moment because uh, there's a little bit of elliptical training going on there. Uh, uh, the old elliptical. And the running that he was doing, it almost looked like he might have been running to the running to the gym to do a little bit of elliptical training. Uh, so it was 1K and then an elliptical 8K and then a 1K. So I can't say I've ever done any real elliptical training, but um, others, swear, others swear by it. Uh, at the gym, there's a guy called Alistair. And Alistair every gym has their iconic members. Mm-hmm. And Alistair's this guy who... It's been there from the longest day that I've the day when I started, and he breaks the machines. He gets on them <laughs> and he gets puts them on the highest level, and he'll just grind them out for like an hour and a half mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and seriously, he's broken all our machines over the years, and <laughs> um, and he also eats a tub of ice cream every night. Ah, oh, goodness. Yeah. That's the healthiest thing to do. So if you want to be uh, join our Strava group, uh, you just need to go on Strava, search for under groups for IM Talk, and then you can join on in. And if you get in the top 100 in any particular week, you get the chance of uh, us digging into a little bit of your uh, history. And I can actually see here on Brett Hayes, he has got a finishers medal for IMM Western Australia. And I'm one, I can't see the year on there. But if you did that, Brett, nice work. Okay, um, what do we say here? We say, uh, let's go into questions and answers. We've basically just got into quick news. Good old Sean Conway, who seems to, I don't actually know much about this guy, but it seems like he takes on massive endurance challenges. He's written quite a few books, um, I think about eight books on taking on massive challenges, and he was going to attempt to take on Iron Cowboy's challenge of doing this 102 Ironmans in 102 days, but it looks like he's a little bit injured. I did, so I had this in the news originally, and I clicked on it yesterday, I thought, I wonder how he's getting on, because I saw this about a week ago, and I clicked on his Instagram account, and apparently he's had a crash, I think he was only like three or four in, and he's buggered his ankle and had to pull out, so he's going to give it a crack another stage, but it's no mean feat trying to take on that 102, so Iron Cowboy did 101 Ironmans, this guy's going to go and try and do 102. He doesn't really, he's not really a triathlete, but he's done all sorts of, as Bevan said, ultra endurance um, challenges. It'll be interesting to see if somebody else can do this because that is crazy backing that up day after day. So I think day he's like, he's cycled the earth. Kind of, you know, he's one of those guys. Mm. Like an absolute madman. The thing with this challenge is, you know, it, it, there's no. Option, yeah. If you don't, if you're doing a big bike challenge, you can go. I'm going to bike all day one day. Yeah, every next day. day I can. I just there's, there's no real set limits on it. But when you're doing this challenge, you've got to bang out an Ironman every single day. And if you piss around, you're going to get bugger all recovery, and then that's going to affect you next day. So um, you can't have a bad day, really. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Okay, well there you go. He did have a bad day. And that's in the end. <laughs> okay, the quiz question. 
So we have to have a pause in a second so we can find the answer. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to say he got two. So the question was, how many times did he get did top ten before he won? Mark it? Allen, he won it in eighty nine. We know he won that. it in eighty nine. So that was yeah. Um, but I'm going to say I'm going to say tw- twice. I'll put I, like the I reckon, I've got. I'll, I'll get the answer here in a second. Um, I don't even know if he did. Well, he blew, he blew up, but he, did he pull out many times? Is the question? Because if he blew up, he still probably would have got a top ten. Yeah, I'm going to say only once. Okay, champions. Okay, champ. No, I've, I've got it. Just go to tryrating.com. We should be able to quickly find this out. So, 1989. We'll just quickly look at it. 1989 was the year that uh, he won it. The year before that, I oh know the year before that in '88 he got fifth. Um, okay, I'm once. pretty sure he got a, a bloody nose that year because that was the year M- Molina won. Uh, the year before that in '87 oh, he got second. So there okay. we go. I'm out already. I've got Bevin, two. Bevin's in '86. Uh, uh, he got second. <laughs> oh, three. '85. Uh, because he did six attempts before he got there, didn't he? '85. Yeah, 80, he's not there. Tinley won that. Well, was that the one with the split year? Uh, no, 80, 84, he got fifth, um, but with a three-hour 45 marathon. So it looked like he was leading that pretty comfortably by about 10 minutes and then did a three-hour 45 marathon. So uh, the year before that, he got third. So he did his, he did his juice. So was it six times before he won it? Or he did it six times and he won it on the seventh, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. So I think he, he finished. So the answer's four or five? Uh, well, you should have been counting. I was doing Oh, that. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's just go through it again. So 80, 83, he was third. 84, he was fifth. 85. Didn't race. Didn't, or didn't, well, get didn't Either didn't race or didn't finish. 86, he was second. 87, he was second. 88, he was fifth. So five times top 10. So generally... He did a lot better than I thought. I thought he DNF'd more often. Yeah, I so think he just exploded. It's not something I really knew, but I, 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 the history was I thought he exploded and, and kind pulled, of out. pulled out. Yeah. yeah. So there might have only been one withdrawal and a lot of blasts. After the Iron Ward, did he win six in a row? Or did, he had one there. year off. Yeah. There, was it a year off or was that an injury? Uh, he had a year off because then he did a comeback. Yeah, so he won. So after I'm more, he won from 89 through to 93. 94, he didn't race. Welch won 84, 94, sorry. And then that's when Dave Scott had that phenomenal race. Because he would have been pretty he old came at that back stage. in 95 and ran down uh, Thomas Hellrig with a 242.09. And was it retirement after that, or did he race yep. much longer after that? Yep, I don't, I don't recall him ever racing again. Oh, wow. That's I think he was one of those guys that went, I'm out, I'm on the top, that's it, I'm done and dusted. I don't know if he's ever done a triathlon since. Melina will be able to tell us that. Yeah, Melina, let us know. Has mm. he ever done a triathlon? Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. Okay, John, uh, let me go back to my show notes here. I've got so many bloody pages over and I don't know where I am. John's swim set. What did I do? Well, I'm, I'm going to do last Friday's swim set because that was a good one. Um, what did we do? I can't remember exactly what we did for the warm-up. I think we did like a, a 600 with a little bit of uh, drill work and a little bit of mixed stuff. And then I think we did... Uh, uh, like six fifties, where we went twenty five fast, twenty five easy, just to get uh, just to get humming along, and then we had a good set where we did twenty four times one hundred, and we did four on one forty, 
four on 135, four on 130, and the aim was to have 10 seconds rest between each one. So you had to go slightly quicker each one, so you're getting a consistent amount of rest, but you're going quicker each time through. So that was four on the 140, four on 135, four on 130, um, aiming for 10 seconds quicker, did that twice through, and then the lane next to us, um, they did the same set, but then they were doing five seconds slower. So really, really nice uh, set to get your teeth stuck into, warm down, and uh, must have been about three and a half K. And we did announce this last week, but again, the show didn't happen. You got your project. You got John's one minute project. And we're gonna. I'm gonna elaborate to on this. Life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to elaborate this over on the maybe next week's show when we've got a bit more time. Okay. So be, be we're putting the teaser out there. Well, we, we put, Watch we put, out for John's one. We minute put the project. teaser out there last week. Uh, we I think it did get included. And so I, a couple of days after coming back from Kona. I foolishly decided to go and do a park run 5K. So for those that don't know what park runs are, basically a 5K race every Saturday morning and uh, it's free to enter, really big in the UK, not so big in America, um, big in Australia. Uh, and I just thought I'd go and do that and then I did that, did a pretty uh, pretty mediocre time at best and then I thought, oh, what I want to do for my next little block of training and give myself a little bit of focus is to try to improve that time by one minute. So I think I did 1740 something or other and so I want to see if I can do 16 something 40 something or other um, by the end of September I think it's it's a real stretch goal yeah my best time on this course uh, is I think 1702 or 1701 okay so I'm sort of setting myself an a standard of of doing a minute and that would be absolutely wrapped if I could do that Uh, a b standard of just breaking 17 minutes which is still going to be a real um, big task and a c would be getting really close to 17 minutes nice good work okay we'll we'll talk more about that later on um so let's say thank you to our patrons we've got a new patron i think i've got a nickname and we've already got a nickname for this we haven't so matthew miller thank you for joining up to the name Mayhem Matthew No, 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 Matthew Mayhem Miller. Mayhem. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I was going to go down the angle of saying, have you watched the, I think it's Where the Millers or Meet the Millers? Yeah, it's, it's a movie. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. that was yep. funny. Yep. Uh, I was thinking something off that, but Mayhem is good. Yeah, Mayhem Miller. So thank you, Matthew. Now, Matthew is a new patron, but we've also got a couple of other patrons. We've got Jeremy the Canalian uh, Hopwood. Anthony the Squid Express Camillari. And then we've got Roger the Chop Canham. Uh, if you want to become a patron... Go to www.imtalk.me, support the boys and what we do, but you're also going to draw to win a Preston prize. And today we're doing one, we're giving away some of the Magic 5 goggles, and we did get some cool feedback from Dallin Evanson. Um, he's got, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Magic 5 goggles. When I heard about Magic 5 goggles, I was very skeptical that they would be able to fit as well as they claimed. I've always struggled to find good fitting goggles, but I decided to give them a chance. The first pair I got were okay, but not great. They leaked slightly and caused some slight pressure on my face. I informed the company of this. They gave me a few things to try, but it didn't seem to help. I was not 100% happy with the goggles. So they gave me two options, a refund or to try again. I chose the later. I sent them some photos of me wearing the goggles and showed them where they were leaking. They diagnosed the issue, set up a new scan and sent me a new set. These new goggles are by far the best goggles I've ever used. They fit perfectly, they don't leak and are extremely comfortable. I can't express how happy I am with them. The product is amazing. Their customer service is phenomenal. I highly Highly recommend getting some Magic 5 goggles. There you go. Dallin says they're good. They're great. I was wearing mine this morning. Uh, so Who yeah. wins them, John? Who wins them? 
Adrian, projectile berry, you got yourself <laughs> two <laughs> pairs of the Magic Five goggles. Why does he get two? Uh, we've got some vouchers over one pair, and he's getting two pairs. So you can get a, like an indoor and an outdoor version. Oh, look at that. So good, good, go. Go. We over-delivered on that one. We did. So, guys, um, great way for you guys to support the show. We have random prizes here, here and there. Um, so if you like what we've done over the last... 15, 16 years. Long time. Uh, get on there, sign up to be a patron, support what we do, and uh, be in to win. And also, we'll be we'll be heading back to Kona next year, I think. So get back there to do some uh, some Kona. You know, a lot of the, the patron money goes towards getting us over to Kona to do a crap load of interviews and uh, get amongst it. Now, on that front, if you do want to become a patron, again, again go to www.imntalk.com. Me, uh, if you also want to uh, support the show, you can oh, you can get the email show email to you there. John's website is coachjohnnewson.com, also epiccamp.com. My website, Bevan James Isles. My book comes out in a couple of weeks, guys. I am going to do a bit of a piece on the show about it when it comes out, and I mm-hmm. do want you guys to support this book. Um, it's not for you, I've got to be honest. The book is called I Will Make You Passionate About Exercise, and it's really for people who aren't exercising. But let's be honest, in your world. People probably ask you about exercise, mm-hmm. and what I've learned is that most people suck when they try to bring exercise in this life, and I'm trying to really give these people a way to bring exercise, and not just a four-week challenge, mm-hmm. to have a lifetime love, to mm-hmm. be where we are with exercise, and so mm-hmm. it's not out yet, it's literally coming out on the 4th of July, but I'll be giving a big plug, and at that time, if you can buy the book, that'd be really great, because it'll support me in getting the book out there. Gift it. Yep, but more importantly, spread the word about the book. Also, if you want to send us an email about anything like Age Group of the Week, call websites and other feedback. I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. Jombo, what's your goss? What's my goss? Bevan, we were away for the weekend. Went up to oh, Kateri oh, for, nice. um, for a little bit of, uh, a lot of driving. For yeah, <laughs> it's what like did f- well, Thomas had the National oh, Secondary right. Schools Champs for cross country. So yeah, it's like a five and a half hour drive up on Friday. I had to do another hour or two just to get him across to the race. And then we ran across on Saturday. Then we drove home on Sunday. So yeah, a, lot a, of, big, lot of driving. a big trip for two days, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, petrol prices, geez, Bevan. Tell you what, it's through the roof, but hey. Put on the business. First world problems. Business. First world problems. Uh, so that was good times being up there. Saw a bit of uh, bit of sunshine, which was which was nice. And it's always funny going to secondary schools events. So cross country, like in a lot of places around the world, the, the nationals are a pretty big deal at school. Yeah. Um, and you turn up there, and it's when you go to primary school events, you know, you obviously you get the big range of sizes and what have you. But it's so. Um, different at high school. There's a lot of, a lot of acne going around. There's yeah. a lot of and gre- you get, greasy you get kids here. who are men and yeah. kids who aren't. You know, oh. like and it makes a mess. Because like, I played rugby league, and league was a very kind of uh, kind of islander and mouldy sport. Mm. And you know, there's definitely some white kids, but it's definitely more ethnic. You know, more a lot of ethnicity in it. And the 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 kids, the islanders and the mouldy kids. They were men at thirteen, oh, yeah, and I didn't even have puberty yet. You know, and <laughs> yeah. you go play them, and they're just running over you. Yeah. It was not fun. But the good thing with cross country is um, size doesn't necessarily matter, no. especially cross country running. So, um, when, if you're small and light, especially on this course, it was muddy as hell. Uh, the small kids was the well. Uh, it was Tom's age group was was four k, and the seniors did six k. Nice, uh, lots of mud, and I was I went and we did a warm up lap with them the day before. Wore, I stupidly wore my white shoes, which are just completely white. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like literally 100 meters and I'm trying to avoid the puddles and uh, or the mud and I couldn't um, but it's good times and yeah with the, the females you just see those first years that are still girls and then you just see their yeah. body transformations into the seniors and when you're running Nobody looks good when they're running, do they? Like it's just you bring out your ugly face. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, 
oh, you get covered in mud and shit and you got crap down your face. And yeah. uh, the funniest thing was I saw one girl coming into the finish and they, she was like literally 50 meters to go. And I'm not sure if she was trying to wipe something off her face, but I'm pretty sure she wasn't. She gave herself a big slap on oh, the face really? and then just sprint, <laughs> sprinted <laughs> in. It was classic. She gained about three places, but she's just like, instead of just saying, come on, yeah. you give yourself a, a virtual uppercut, she like literally slapped herself in the face and just gassed it and gained uh, about three places. So it was a good uh, good fun event. He did, he did uh, it's not his probably Best conditions, you know, yeah. running in the mud, but he still got 18th and out of about 120 in oh, his wow. uh, awesome. sort of juniors, which was a hell of a lot better than I ever did. So good on him. Where did you get? I was hopeless. I was uh, I wasn't very good at cross country. Uh, I think my highest placing was about 30th. That's where the Brownlees started. Were the fell runners, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. 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 Was, fell running is a bit different to cross country. What's, fell, what's fell running? Fell running is like running up and down bloody hills and stuff. Cross country is more running around parks with some yeah. undulations and hurdles and things. Yeah. But fell running is is more hilly sort of stuff running through the forest and okay. bits and pieces yeah mm. oh, nice. so that was my weekend Bevan well, that sounds like fun uh, and one other thing when I was up there I'm, I'm looking at doing an Everesting challenge so I'm, I'm starting to research that oh and the, the, uh, the, the mountain the climb that I've looked at is actually up there and how long do you think it's going to take me to, to, to cl- ride up and down um, Everest well that was 8,000 8, metres isn't it and yeah 8,000 eight, 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 eight. eight. so and they say what probably about some good guys doing what about seven? Oh, that would be absolutely. That would be the world. I don't know what the world record is, but it would. That'd be world record standard. Everything. Let's have a look. Everything. Well, it's going to take me on this particular climb that I found uh, fourteen and a half hours. Based on what? Based on climbing speed? at two hundred watts. Is that what is that we're going to do? Is just kind of sit on wattage and just. Yeah. The world record is six forty. Yeah. Oh, you're very close. Very well yeah. done. Yep. Yep. Bye. Yep. Um, so that's going to be interesting if I get my ass into gear to do that as well. What kind of training do you do? Uh, just lots of biking. Lots of biking up and down a hill. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like fun. Ben, what's happening for you? I went to Wellington. Went to Wellington. Oh, did the Wellington Marathon. Surprise, surprise, the weather looked like it was rubbish. Do you know what? It's a pity, really. It's a pity because it's, it's a really beautiful race. Everyone, mm. like, like, actually, it wasn't terrible. Mm. It was a, 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 just before we started, it started getting a bit torrential. And then as soon as they started, it kind of spat and it was mm. a bit cleared so it was actually a little bit windy but it wasn't crazy windy um and it's such a beautiful race i didn't do the mm. race but like wellington's a cool city um yeah and it, weird we, i was surprised because we like we, our people train well mm. but we probably well, i think we had 50 people in the race and we had like eight pbs from people who've mm. done lots of racing mm. you know not not people who you know second race or first race you know like we'd, we'd, we'd done like 30 half marathons and uh, so, we, 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 yeah, overall, actually, everyone raced really well. We, one thing we did do is we went to – have you done the Parliament Tour? No. Highly recommend it. Because mm-hmm. you can actually go, just go watch them do their thing as well, but mm-hmm. that wasn't happening the day we were there. But we did this Parliament Tour, and this Polish lady, who was absolutely a hoot, <laughs> takes an hour, mm-hmm. and it was – Really awesome. You basically walk, you go, you know, you go into the ch- chambers where they mm-hmm. do the debates. <clears throat> I didn't know New Zealand, here's an interesting thing, New Zealand had an upper house for years. What? You know how, like, in, yeah. you, know, you have a Senate and a, mm. well, New Zealand had a, an upper house for years. And then in, like, 1930, they, they, because basically what happened was the politicians got to pick who was in the upper house. Mm. 
And so it was just all their mates, and it was mm. a bit of a piss take. And so one of the one of the first one of the national leaders came in and said, "Well, I'm going to abolish it." And so he basically picked thirty people to be in there, and they were called the Suicide Squad mm. because they could only abolish it themselves. Mm. So I think there were sixty people. So you know where they do the media room? You know mm. when you like the media room. We got to go in the media room. That felt quite cool. Yeah. And then you had our media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it was quite topical because of COVID. So mm. whether you know, so it was quite cool. And then, but we're the other parties will do their media conferences, you mm-hmm. know, that room there. Well, that used to be the upper house. Right. Yeah. And so and I, and I never knew we had an upper house. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? I did not. No. And so mm-hmm. if, for those of you who go to Wellington, highly recommend it. And then we did um, to Papa, which is always really good. We we're going to do that. What is it? Zealander, but we didn't end up getting it. And I couldn't get into where the workshops. Have you done that? No, I haven't. No. Wellington's a cool city. I highly if you ever if you ever get to New Zealand, Wellington is one of those places where I'm not quite sure I want to live there. No, no, but yeah. but nice to visit. Great place to visit. There you go. Great place. So I'm there, and then it's pretty much it, Jumbo. Cool. Think about maybe just sign up for to a marathon. Nice. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe do. So cool. The thing you mentioned about there about Wellington, and it's the same applies with the Christchurch Marathon. Good for a half. Pancake flat for a marathon is a little bit tough. I'd like Auckland's nice because it's got some little undulations and some of the big marathons. A couple of little hills, not so much that's going to kill your your pace and your speed, but enough just to get a little bit of variation in there. I think is quite nice for a pancake flat one. Um, I'm thinking maybe in Queenstown, although Mm, they'd have a few little ups and downs. Got a long runway for it. It would literally Mm. be more recreational than hardcore. yeah, yeah. Queensland was not a fast race. Mm. It was pretty. It was interesting that the marathon times, and I don't. I didn't see the winner come in, so I don't know to what time there. But second place was two forty three. Yeah, first was two twenty nine. Yeah, so it was pretty slow. Yeah, we're not. We're not a country of fast marathoners these days. And then the female was Lisa. You know, you know Lisa, lovely lady from out um, Sumner Way. Um, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful woman. She she won in a three oh seven. Right. Yeah. So no, no, nothing against Lisa. She won the race, but yeah, wasn't the fastest <laughs> time. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.